Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky and I am joined this week with Chris Apple. Same team. And Brett Freeman. Hey everyone. Alright guys, we are back from Worlds. We had a blast. It was absolutely one of the best events I've ever been to. You guys can agree, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was a ton of fun. Is this your, uh, both your, or Chris, this is your second Worlds, right? And Brett, is this your first? This is my first, yeah. Cool. Uh, definitely my first two. So it, it was a blast. I plan on going back if possible. Um, so we're just going to basically this episode give you a recap of everything that's kind of happened with our world's experience. Go down our list a little bit, talk about it, um, and then go from there. So right off the bat, things that we learned about worlds. This is the first second edition worlds, um, which is crazy that, you know, the game's been out for about a year now. Um, and we've finally made the full tournament cycle. So I I would agree that this is probably the best worlds ever. You know, the LCQ I thought was awesome. Like the the fact that they did that, like to let everyone in and kind of like fill up the numbers was absolutely awesome. Yeah. I like that made such a huge difference just in terms of, you know, who was allowed at the event. Right. Um, they might, the only, you know, premier events that I've really been to were 2018 Worlds and Coruscant before this, right? Both at the FFG Center. Um, and the venue alone was amazing, right? That we could accommodate, you know, the whole LCQ and all the side events and both days of Swiss. It was... And Destiny. And, and, still and, and of Destiny. <laughs> although, although the Destiny players didn't look like they were having any fun at all. But that's that's a separate issue. <laughs> that's because they play Destiny. <laughs> although although there were some X Wing players that were playing in the X Wing tournaments and then also playing in the Destiny tournaments tournaments, which I thought was impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean just just the venue alone made such a huge difference in terms so, of feel, right? Compared to awesome. the FFG Game Center, how more how bigger was this? Much more. Bigger. I mean, it, it was gigantic right like the the thing with the the game center is as fun as the game center is like and as charming as it is to kind of be where the developers are right and to be where asmodee is and like it just feels cool because it's like there's the shop out front and all of that it it was always a little bit cramped um so like it just didn't have that much space like the one really cool thing about it was the stadium seating around the final table where they actually had like little bleachers but this was a stadium that we were at, right? Like that there were actual bleachers yeah. <laughs> above the final table. Um, so I, yeah, it was just you know like the amount of space, like every table that you played at, you could you had about like a foot of space between yourself and the next mat, right? Like that alone was a big deal. Just walking around, um, I thought I thought it would, the venue just made a huge difference. One of the other cool things I thought about the venue was like I heard from the FFG Game Center that you needed like a actual pass to get in, and if you weren't playing, that like you couldn't get in. Where like this was like you could just walk in, and like people that weren't even participating in the events, um, the main events, could just come and play any of the side events, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, so who's the head of OP? Do you know that guy's name? Forget it. Al- it's, uh... it's Alex Watkins, I think. Okay, or I feel bad for not remembering, but either way, I was talking to one of the FFG staff members, and they were saying that you know for future years, just because how successful this was, like they they might emphasize the option of just coming to play side events. Um, so meaning like you know the LCQ was great, right? Because it opened things up for players to come and try to get into the main event. But it's it's just the kind of thing where like 
that venue could have supported even more players, right? Like they could probably find ways to make it an even bigger tournament next year, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. But um, there was, so like there was space. Like uh, I know with like different like events that you always feel like elbow to elbow. Like this felt like relaxed, like comfortable. Um, there was space to put your templates down and everything like that. And then like you go to like the back of it and like you had all these like side events happening and like there was still all this space that like you never had a problem with feeling too cramped, which which is great. And even I you know I know there were um, some timing issues with some of the side events, but like you know other issues with how it was coordinated. But that, that's always the case. Um, what I found really cool was just the quantity of side events. Like I hadn't been to a, an FFG event that had anything other than Hangar Bay. Yeah, um, they had the different three different. So they had the epic event going on. They had the Aces High, and then they had like all the hangar bays going on, which is really cool. I'll probably go into the epic event a little bit further down the uh, episode, yeah. but um, yeah, Can no, we just it talk about was Aces cool. High now because it was I... the most fun you could ever have, <laughs> perhaps playing X Wing. <laughs> yeah, um, Aces High was an absolute hit. I, I, you know, you should really take a look at the rules. I know they're getting posted around. Maybe I'll link them into our. Uh, description i'll absolutely do that but i think everyone that played i know brent you were really hesitant at first to play aces i and then after that first round you were like i am having the most fun ever i was i mean everything was completely different right it didn't feel like x-wing at all so i i I was exhausted from from two days of playing and i was like do i really want to try and learn a new rule set and just in the first game i hear you know like crates giggling at the other table like people were having as much fun as you had the first time you bust out a core set and are playing the x-wing versus you know the two tie fighters like there was that level of joy about x-wing and it was just so fun all around i don't think i saw a single person having a bad time except for the player who was fighting against whatever Upsilon build and Miranda Electro Proton bomb build exists. But those were still super fun moments, right? Like it was like even the players who were actively breaking the game, it was funny how broken it got. And it's probably just fun to see an Electro Proton bomb. Well, yeah, no, it was. It definitely was fun. <laughs> um, I, yeah, absolutely, man. I like that w- the way you described it is perfect because it was there was so many like competitive games being played. You had to play seven in the main event. You know, the LCQ was was crazy. Like, I I think it was just the perfect kind of way to break up. You know, that kind of intensity, right? To just go do kind of beer, you know, beer and pretzel wing for a little bit. It was. Really it, it, it felt like playing like drunk X wing, but I was completely sober. It was that kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, when I went into this, I was like, oh, man, I, I need to bring, like, an ace. I ended up starting with, like, Advanced Sensors Guri, and I, honestly, that was probably a mistake to bring. Like, uh, the one Drew Brody, I played with him in one of the um, pods, and he brought Wolfwaro with, like, a hull upgrade, and he, you know, it was it felt bad shooting this thing because you now have an enraged Wookiee that respawns. And it was just a ton of fun because, like, you kind of want to bring things that you don't normally bring, and they work. Like, that's the fun part about it. Right. And, like, even – so, like, like, it's kind of a situation, too, where, like, the format kind of encourages players to all be in on, like, just having fun with it, you know? Because it's so obvious, like, if you you just optimize too much, like, in terms of your decision-making, that it becomes – like, it's just not what it's about, right? So, like – 
so it's just it's just super entertaining i i think i i ran a scorch with afterburners lone wolf and advanced optics so I, it was an 80 point cap i ran a 49 point build and i still came in like third in one of the matches um which was really entertaining right like in, i think in that match like there was uh a, a vermeil and a miranda uh running around as well so they were all i4 right so I'm actually super excited to see how like the community comes up with variants on this and like just different list building restrictions to make it more entertaining um, because it's just ripe for that. Definitely agree. Um, it, any like big tournaments like people. So they, this is only like a two day thing and they only did one um, one each day. But then like afterwards, people just started basically buying out hang or hangar bays and be like, no, we're going to play Aces High instead. <laughs> like, yep. So it, it was, it had that kind of effect. And they, they did allow people to do that. So good on FFG for letting that happen. Um, but yeah, it, it was such a blast. And good for FFG for kind of shaking up the, the side event play, right? I mean, that's yeah, it's finally, like it was, it's awesome. Um, and, you know, maybe it's a sign of things to come with, like adding little scenario options to the games and, who knows what that obstacle pack is going to do? Should be fun. Sure. Um, so other side events, I got the opportunity to play in the epic team event. Um, so again, I, I paired up with Drew Brody. Uh, shout out to him and his son Isaiah Brody over at uh, Worst Coast Children. Um, but we decided to run six upsalons and a fo salad. And we went ended up going two and zero in the day, so that was a ton of fun. Hey, hold up though, how, who, who had six upsalons? Like, how did you get? <laughs> how did they, just explain that? So did, he, did, did he Ted bring a bunch of upsalons in his duffel bag. He like, brought three, and then at the last uh, like moment, we were just scrambling around to see who we could get upsalons off. So like we were able to borrow another three off of people. Um, we, we should have tried. Wait, three of those upsalons were Ted. No, he, he had one, and then I know okay. Matt had one, and then so <laughs> nice. at the end of the day, we were trying to like figure out whose upsalon was who. But um, you can see those probably pictures floating around all over the internet, and uh, yeah, it, it was a ton of fun. The picture's real funny because it's just like six upsalons and like a ship and like a couple of ships, and then there's like you can only see red line in the frame on the other side. <laughs> Poor red line. That red line, I think, got uh, killed in that first passing. Absolutely got killed. But, Shocking. Uh, yeah, so it, it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, just watching people, like, walk past the table and, like, their jaw drop watching, you know, all these upsalons just move across the board. It, it was a good time. Um, but How yeah. long did the games take? Oh, my God. The games were three hours. But here's the thing. The games were three hours long. It did not feel like three hours. Like, before we knew it, like, there was only, like, a half hour left. And that was, like, not even, like, the end of the round. Like, it, it, it was nuts. Um, it, they, it definitely went through a lot faster. And, like, the other thing I really want to commend FFG for was when they first originally posted, like, the prize support, they, like, basically doubled it because of the amount of time that we were taking to play the game. Um, I think I ended up with 28 tickets from the... Really? Epic. Yeah. So like. Wow. They, yeah. They essentially just doubled everything that they were giving us. Like I think we got eight tickets for participation, and then like the bonus tickets for going two and zero. Oh. Um, so that was the probably the most direct way to get plo templates then, huh? Yeah. Um. I basically just got plo templates from doing that. Um. Granted, it took up my entire day because we started at ten a.m. and got done at like six. But. <laughs> um. 
it, it was still a ton of fun. Like I had a blast. It, it really like I'm looking forward to Epic because um, it, it's a completely different game. Like we had yeah. there was six Upsilons and then like Kylo and like I'm not even joking you that like Kylo got one round of shooting because I was trying to be cheeky with him and like shoot up the side of the board and start flanking, but after everything was done shooting it was like okay well this was a mistake breaking kylo because uh, unless can I just you threw flank in an epic game is that possible i mean like he did on the last turn but it was like at that point it was just like i would have rather have taken those points to fill it elsewhere um so but okay. yeah it, it was a ton of fun i'm looking forward to epic um maybe not so much 800 points worth of epic um between two people but like i know they are going to be more scenario based as opposed to like just yeah I, and it might be like it might be a fun thing to do at like gamers heaven on a sunday right and like just turn on a movie yeah and just play you know what i mean like with that big projector that they have if we can get them to play something besides like little mermaid <laughs> but maybe run like star wars and do like an epic sunday that'd be kind of cool yeah definitely um, but yeah, I highly recommend Epic. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, like I said, I, I'm excited for those packs to come out now. And it's it just a lot of fun seeing all these ships on the table and making it... Like, it's a completely different game than X-Wing. I mean, sure, it's the same components and everything, but it, like I said, it's not the X-Wing that you're used to playing. And if you ever like need a break, try it out. Like Just make up like your own scenarios or something like that and... like. Or just wait till it comes out. And, and it's a little bit of a refresher. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, being cheeky with Sunfac or anything along those lines. Like, it, it was a completely different game. So, speaking of that game we were taking breaks from, do you want to talk about the tournament? Yeah. Uh, let's dive right in. Um. So, where do we want to start? Well, let, let's start with the number of rounds, right? I think that would yeah. be good just to explain at the start. So the, the Swiss was seven rounds, um, which basically meant that you showed up at nine and you played till 11. like 11-ish, right? Which was a long haul. Yeah, it, it's. I, I talked to a lot of people about this and some people were not like thrilled about it. I know, again, when I was talking to Isaiah, like he was just exhausted after... You know his seventh round, like he, he in the middle of the round, like it, it's 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 a very physical toll on the body. And granted, they don't always do this. I know they did with back in the system open. Um, at was it a, not Adepticon at Gen Con? I think they did seven rounds. Yeah, but it, it's tough, man. Like I know a lot of people were asking if there was ways that they could split it up between two days or any something like that. But I, I agree, like that that is a long day and. You know, you do get two 45-minute breaks, but, you know, it's definitely taxing on the body and mind. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, it was the kind of thing where, like, you know, it's really, at the end of the day, it's not that bad, right? Like, you're just standing and playing X-Wing. Um, but you could definitely, like, there would be advantages to just physically training for a <laughs> tournament like this, which sounds ridiculous. But it was that, it was actually that long of a day that, like, you know, the better shape you're in, probably the better off you'd be. Um, <laughs> Hence the it, great running group. <laughs> yeah, look, maybe that's what they, like, I, I, I don't think that that's necessary for Liberty Squatch necessarily, but like, there's something to it, right? I mean, I, you know, people who were able to kind of sustain a level of play over seven games are probably, you know, they, they, it takes an extra amount of effort and focus. So, um, you know, the folks that did perform well, or even the players who started out poorly and then recovered, 
Like I, Ryan Stanisowski over OCX, he he started O and two, and then made made day two, right? Um, like that's just you know it's tough to to kind of mentally get through that many games, and you know even just to care about the game for that long. Like I kind of check out after four games of X Wing, anyways. Um, it's just the kind of thing, right? Where it's a lot of X Wing, and like to enjoy every one of those matches is a challenge. Yeah, definitely. And, so one thing we had said beforehand is um, to look at the LCQ for people who were upset about it, kind of like a first day buy. And I think when you think about the six rounds right before a seven round event, like the way we were framing it was completely perfect. Because if you thought seven rounds was long, Chris, you should have tried 13 rounds in like a <laughs> day and a half period. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was one of the most taxing things I've ever done. Andrew, I'm sure you you would agree with that. Uh, I mean, by the end, I, I don't even think I knew my name anymore. <laughs> well, you know what that led to, though, right, is a lot of the competitive players know that that is, like, a, a really difficult thing to do, to basically to, do two back-to-back, like, intense Swiss events. Um, so that made Day 1A, like, this weird murderer's row of, like, it just it looked like Coruscant out there on Day 1A, just walking around. Um, and maybe that's just because those were, like, mostly you know, the players that we know from our communities here in, in the States, you know? Um, but it, but it, it was like, it, it felt like day one, a had a kind of weird stack of players in it that were trying to get that space for day two, you know? Yeah, definitely. And the, the one thing about the LCQ was like, we had no control over our, what day we ended up playing on. Um, so like, it was, if you're placement was even so like let's say you placed 13th um i think odd was which is day... odd to be fair yeah, but... yeah no 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 but i'm um, so so if you were placed 13th uh you ended up playing day 1a and if you were even it was day 1b um i could have that reversed but like th- there was no real control over it and it just so happens that i think everyone from liberty squadron that placed from the lcq ended up being day 1a so it, it was like constant just x-wing back to back like after the lcq once we knew what we were doing and registered i went home uh to the uh apartment i was staying at just went to bed like it it was tough yeah i the the only reason i had selected day 1b was because i was traveling for two weeks before the tournament so i just was coming back and it was like i need i need a gap so i can actually practice um but but the you know just the lcq itself also seemed like it had um I don't know. It, it seemed like it ran longer, right, than than even the next there couple a, days did. Yeah, there was a very long delay in the beginning because they went and checked all of our lists after we checked in for legality. Um, so we had like a solid almost hour, I'd say, where nothing was happening. And we were all just waiting for pairings to drop. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and also they had to do the – like they paired everyone up and had to go through every single table to make sure that you had an um, – that there were like no gaps, like make sure that anyone that wasn't there, um, like make sure they dropped them from the tournament. So, nice. and a lot of people got dropped. I, I think there were 350 people originally signed up, and it was right around 258. I want to say that that actually were, were there. I was one of those people because I I wasn't able to cancel my ticket. <laughs> um, so Thanks but... a lot, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so so who from Liberty Squad like? qualified at the last chance qualifier do we uh, so andrew and i qualified um 
Ted qualified and Chance uh, got in at the second to last spot. He was so upset because he faced Nantexes all day and they finally caught up with him. He ended up three and three and he got in by, you know, a few MOV points at the end. Wait, so he was 127 out of 128? Yes. That's perfect. It was, it was, yeah, it was wonderful. That's awesome. I'm happy for happy for him, and I, you know, just happy for you guys. That was that was kind of neat that he got the next day to play. Yeah, we'll we'll go into the LCQ in a little bit. Um, we'll we'll talk about our opportunities, um, me and Brett's game together, because um, whenever we t- tend to travel more than you know a hundred miles outside of our normal gaming area, we decide that we or they decide that we have to play each other. I couldn't believe it. Right at round three, we're both two and zero, oh, and and it's just like, oh my god, one of us is just going to get our heart broken here. Yeah, um, we'll get into that a bit down the road, though. Um, so yeah, Chris, we both had the opportunity to be on stream. Do we want to talk about that for a second? Uh, not really, but yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I guess. Do you want me to give a quick rundown of my day? Do you want, and then you got. Do you guys want to go through yours? I, I don't want to do like a, a whole uh, kind of bat rep thing, but might be might be good to do that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I was just going down these, these bullet points. Um, because my okay. my round one game was Hunt Stream, and it was just like I was oh, still. Really? Yeah, I was still kind of asleep from like the day before, and like I missed a trigger with. Um, like soon tier put a console fire on Talon Band and I forgot to, to roll for the console fire, but it didn't even matter because I was still going to be able to shoot. So like, I'm sure the stream was yelling at me and I'm not going to go back and watch that game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you see my note here, right? Like my note is stream games are super distracting and I am bad at them. Yeah. Like I, I'm bad at them. Like I, I played some of the best X-Wing I played in a while um, through my first five games at, at Worlds. And then I went on stream and just just promptly turned my brain off. Yep. Um I like it's just it's a weird experience, right? Like, first of all, props to Gold Squadron, because they had the most ridiculous operation going. Um, you know, the, all the commentators were running a marathon of their own to to actually kind of stream all that. So I, I don't think people realize how much effort went into all that um but the I one think there, were, there were five streams going on right yeah yeah and a lot of just a lot of talking for like seven hours <laughs> it's um, just amazing yeah it was pretty cool and i you know i i think um you know it's it's you can tell that kind of dion's been building up to this level of quality and uh th- this world just sort of the payoff um pretty pretty excited about that and i can't wait to see sort of how that evolves right because the, the whole the whole the, just that amount of coverage won't always be possible and it's not always necessary but it's it's a treat for the community man what if like dion just like creates this network like the nfl like where like he's basically like at the new york uh, and like he's got like 10 different streams where he's sending people out to like different hyperspace trials and then he's at headquarters being yeah, like all man. right let's switch to this game and for people who weren't there that's what it looked like right i mean there was just a row of computers and just like all these gsp shirts just sitting at him with their headphones on and i don't know what they were talking about it was probably x-wing but it was good it was just it was really cool yeah it definitely props to dion for everything that he does for the community um, yeah and they were super welcoming too right like like the one thing that's weird with going on those streams is they kind of like you have to change out all your tokens right you have to use all the all of their tokens and then they kind of change all your ship bases and it's there's like a whole process right like getting set up 
So that alone is sort of distracting for me because that's usually the time frame where I kind of lock in, right? Where I like I kind of get my opponent's dial, and as I'm setting up, it's like a ritual to just sort of like figure out what my strategy is going to be and what my opening will be and all of that. Um, so I, you know, it, it it's a bad excuse, but like that's kind of it, it is a little bit disruptive in that way. Um, so I, I think it's you know it's just it just shows like I I'm hungry for more stream games because I want to get better at it. Like it's 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 just something that's not that easy to be comfortable with, I guess. Yeah, definitely, um, I will say that like this, my second time on, like I was on stream at Nova, and then I was on stream round one here at Worlds, and like the second time around, it was a little bit easier, I would say. Um, maybe next time I'll be a lot more comfortable. Uh, but yeah, like the, just the jitters at first, just <laughs> knowing that Twitch chat's going off and everything like that, like it's probably, it, it's very, very nerve wracking and it adds a different element to the game that you might not be used to. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not because the game matters a lot. Like that's not why it's nerve wracking. It's just right. because it's, it's different, right? Like it's, you know, like I, it, it's not, it's not because I'm so intent on trying to win a game that you get nervous. It's more just a sudden change to your environment, you know? I'll be honest, I find the Twitch chat to be very nerve-wracking. Like, it's, if I make a mistake and I know about it, I can deal with it. If I make a mistake and 200 people saw it and are saying I'm the like the stupidest person who's ever lived, <laughs> I, I, I don't really like that pressure. Fair enough. Well, there's a reason that um, you're at Worlds and they weren't. Burn. <laughs> um, um, so, uh, yeah, so, do like, let's let's maybe, let's get into the tournament a little bit. I think some of the more interesting parts are kind of what we learned about our lists, right? And, like, some of the rule interactions that were clarified along the way and all that. So, um, Andrew, do you want to lead off and just kind of talk about what you, what you learned and what you were running? Sure. So, I was running the same list that I was running at uh, Nova. So, it was Talonbane, Cobra, with... Fearless Ketsu with Fearless Maul and the Shadowcaster title. And then, uh, what is his name? Ulterok with Fearless. And like, I did a lot of practice with this list. I switched out Talonbane uh, for Cavill for the longest time, and it, it was, it didn't feel right. Like, Cavill's very slow to get into the fight, and like, he does do a lot of damage. And, like, I was running Ion Cannon with him for a little bit, and it just didn't feel right. Like, it didn't feel, like, complementary to the list. So I switched back to uh, Talonbane at the, basically, the last second. Um, I wish I just kept grinding away with Talonbane, because I think one of the biggest takeaways from my performance this week is to... Um, my, my setup engagements. Like, I think the entire time I engaged in the same setup almost in every single one of my games. And I've identified that. And I think that like, I, I, you know, we talked about chance going against Nantex the whole weekend. I ended up facing three inquisitor um, lists the entire weekend. And I just could not like, it wasn't that I couldn't figure it out. It was just, I understood that my engagement towards these things, if I would have gone into it a little bit different, I definitely could have taken it. And, um, so, but like, explain that a little bit, right? So, like, first of all, it's it's interesting that you're kind of you worked your way back to Talonbane, right? Because mm -hmm. like the instinct called Talonbane a meme, and and like he's a functional ship, right? He's a threat for sure yep. on offense. Um, like no question, he's you know he's he's got the doomsday device of the five dice, right? 
for for 2.0 yes um which is like that's why he's super valuable right yeah so here's two of the things that i like i identified right right off the bat was cavill is a powerhouse and might have a little bit more dice than um and a little bit higher damage output than Talonbane, but the thing about Cavill is he can't disengage. Like, it's very hard for Cavill to disengage. Like, he's in the fight, and he stays in the fight until he dies. Where Cavill, he just hard turns and just turns that, that turret on you, Exactly, right? and does. then when you turn that turret, you're losing mods and stuff like that. With Talonbane, he has a uh, white four straight, so he can kind of get away from things a little bit. At range three, he's rolling four dice, um so if he's focused up it's harder to hit him it's something that like you can hit and get out or hit and stay in because he's got one hard turns too so he can just stay in there and do what he wants to do in there and, and still dish out as much damage as possible um yeah so I, I would absolutely like running it through gate of storms um cavill is definitely a beast at range two um he blows uh talonbane out of the water there but at range one with fearless and a focus talonbane just dumpsters cavill's numbers um i, I know it's some... just that threat right like it gives you some yeah. control when people know that that's waiting for them right because exactly and it's not like you, your list has katsu and old Terok in it so if you're you know if you're not taking some account for old Terok, right? Like you're kind of changing your end game a bit. So absolutely. And, and like I said, I mean, I, I definitely, one of my big takeaways from the weekend was like, I should have, um, gotten more reps in with Talonbane because it, it flies a little bit differently with him where I could have been a heavy flanker with, um, with old Terok. And I essentially didn't do that. Like I had some engagements where like, I was trapped that I, I basically trapped myself that I could only get ever two shots on a single ship. Whereas if I didn't do that, I could have maybe gotten three shots on a single ship and taken that ship off, like initiative killed it. And it, right. it was hard to do that in some of those cases where I was setting up um, differently. Or like if it was an instance where Ketsu got his tractor beam off, if I ever tried moving it, then it would put it out of arc of another ship or anything like that. So um, it, it's definitely a good list. It definitely can perform well. And I know a lot of people have brought it. I I, um, I think I was like the top player in the LCQ that brought it. Um, but I think like it's something to look at. Like And, and like I said, I identified like through and through like I should have engaged at different points and not set up these certain ways that I did. And, and you know, that's my own fault when it all comes down to it. But that's, you know, that's part of the joy of going to these tournaments, right? Or at least it is for me, where, you know, just there even system opens don't give you this level of like, information about your list sometimes. Yep. Um, because you don't get like the same quality of, uh, of Swiss. Like, it's just it's just a very different field. Like there was jank at Worlds, but like, you know, there's enough layers to, to sort of force people through before they get there, <laughs> that you really get to learn. Um so that, that's it's it's encouraging to hear you say some positive things about Talonbane because he's only fifty three points with Fearless, right? And so it's it'll be fun to do some list building with that piece around you know not around it but with it in Scum, right? So um, I'm like super gung ho with packs like basically right around the corner, and I'm not gonna lie, like a lot of the lists that I'm looking at, like I'm incorporating Talonbane just because I like I, I know his performance level, like he might there might be better ships out there. 
but like yep. he's you know you know his role at, right yeah like you know his role you know like you, like to get value from him you don't need it to be the the perfect ship yeah um, he's not this cagey ace that you know is running away or flying but he he's something that you know can basically one shop a lot of or one shot a lot of these ships out there so it's he has a role out there and like for 53 points he, he could be a steal like I think you absolutely have to put Fearless on him. Um, if you start loading up more, he might become a little bit of a liability, but um, it's something definitely to take a look at, I think. So so just kind of transitioning a little bit, what what is something... So that's something you learned about your list. Are there a couple of lists that you played against that you learned something about them, right? Like, that's... I think that's the other interesting question, right? Which is... Not all of your matchups. I don't need to. We don't need to break it down of all of <laughs> so it. So we, we but like for the most talk part. Talk about that. I think I flew against two factions the entire weekend: Resistance really? and uh, Empire. And um, oh, I do want to give a shout out. Shout out to Joe Desmond. Um, me and him had one of the tightest games of my entire life. Um, I was able to sneak out the win on him by like literally points, but. Uh, he was probably one of the best opponents. He said he hasn't played in eight months and then came to Worlds. So, I mean, he if he shook that rust off a little bit sooner, I probably would have been in real, you know, trouble. But um, definitely was a great opponent. But yeah, besides that, I think, like I said, I flew against three uh, Inquisitor lists. One had the Grand Inquisitor. One had Soontir. Um, two had Soontir, I'm sorry. And the rest of my matches were basically resistance beef and really and um, I mean resistance I had, or republic uh, resistance interesting lots so, of T seventies um, who have one too many health yeah. um, uh, lots of fin I did fly against one five A wing or five A list which um, I was a little worried about because you know fearless you want to be in that front arc. Um, I caught him on his mistakes and was able to capitalize off of it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, most of my games were all Empire and Resistance. So let's, because it, it, there's some overlap for me. I, I, I faced a, more taps, more more Inquisitors than I, I would have liked to um, Yeah. It, during the tournament. Um, I, it's a good ship, and I like, you know, I, I like the the ship itself. Um, but, but what stood out to me, what I basically learned very quickly was that that one shield or that one force um, makes a massive difference and not, you know, I think we've, we've talked about in the past how it was like, you know, the combination of the force with an evade token or a force with a, uh, a lock from Jendin, who, by the way, was the third most popular pilot <laughs> at worlds um, was everywhere while I was winning. But, you know, the, the thing that I, I, that stood out to me most about these, uh, these inquisitors wasn't just what we know with the token stack. It was that, they really are kind of able to to take advantage of the fact that they can be bumped. You know what I mean? Like they have mods, um, you know, when force users tend to have them, right? Which is after problems, um, and that that's a significant thing for them. And I, it, maybe that was more relevant in my matchups, but that's definitely something I learned about taps in general. Is that one force charge? Um, serves as a passive mod in situations that most ships don't get it, and that's just as big of a deal for a, you know, a thirty-point generic as it is for a Jedi. Yeah. So one of the instances that I had was with against the Grand Inquisitor, 
I was able to tractor the Grand Inquisitor and strip its tokens with old Tyrock and at the same time unable to push a single point of damage into it. Um, Did so it modify you, with the one force charge? It, it, well, the, the Grand it was the Grand Inquisitor, so it had two. Oh, it had the two. But it was still like it, it was just like come on, like it, it was hard to. But you know that's the direction that the game you know went into was you know. It had those four charges. I was able to strip tokens and you know drop it down, giving myself the best possible outcome again. Instead, but it was still able to pull it out with you know those four charges. It's interesting, right? Because I, I I had been talking with somebody, I forget who, about like what possible uh, force counters exist in the game, like like list building counters. Um, I was before worlds even, and and what we kind of settled on was that like denying tokens is still a significant part of that because the power of a force charge is combination with the target lock or an evade so if you have like a jam or if you have something that denies dice to begin with like a tractor beam or or really anything like crack shot kind of fits into that category um it kind of helps to negate that token stack slightly um yeah so and your list is kind of built for that right like it's just a here here, like you've got all these mods but i'm going to remove one of your dice right like good luck (laughs) right and so that did come up in um i i might when i played ryan fleming um i think that came up where he eventually the force runs out like you can only modify so much and you kind of rely on those tokens and then if you can kind of keep the pressure that one force charge per turn um it could definitely hurt if they don't have the tokens you know to back it up um right what's what's interesting with the taps though right is that they've only got the one charge to begin with so they're spending it indiscriminately the only decision they're making is offense or defense right and that's that's pretty much it um and they get it back every turn so it's 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 excellent um it makes you really wonder like you know what other ships in the game would just skyrocket in terms of functionality with one force charge i don't i can't think of any ship in the game that wouldn't just immediately be meta relevant with with one force charge it's it's huge deal definitely yeah just think of any ship having palp in the squad right yeah it's a whole game changer soon becomes a god as soon as palps around yeah, it helps him a lot, and that, you know it helps. And that's we, we haven't seen a ton of palp, um, but we've seen enough of it. And it just just generics alone with force charges that changes their entire shape, um, which is pretty interesting. So, um, Andrew, before we, we move on the uh, the the resistance list that you faced, did you run into it's the resistance at all? I, that that was pretty hilarious. I did not. There was no it's the resistance. Uh list for the most part like i said it was um some kind of resistance beef uh, a lot of jess pava tem and waxley um, yeah you know finn was thrown in there um and, and like i said those t70s have one more health than i wanted to see <laughs> they're kind of like defenders right but yeah. they're not they yeah like, i mean like they're not defenders but uh they're kind of like gunboats is the better parallel i, I mean i um, do want to like um shout out to andy dwyer he was my round three match or round four match and like it came down to old Terok against two of his t70s that you just needed to push that one final damage on either of them through and then old Terok died to a console fire but it, it was such a great game that like that it came down that close it was literally he won 200 to 180 that it was that tight i had a moment in a game that made me think of you um someone killed uh long shot 
by flipping a direct hit with a concussion missile. <laughs> nice. And I was like, damn it, Andrew. <laughs> like, this is your fault. <laughs> Concussions um, are good, man. Yeah, well, and on the tap specifically, right? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a powerful piece, so. Cool. Any Anything else about your day? Uh, that's uh, it. Like I said, I mean, like I had a, the LCQ was a lot of fun, um, especially as soon as you hit that, like we were able to figure out that as soon as you hit four wins, you were in. Um, so as soon as you get that fourth win, it's such like a sigh of relief. Yeah. And, you know, you go into it. Um, Worlds was an uphill battle. Like, you know, the I had some tough matchups. And like I said, like my own personal experience um, is what really kind of brought me down in the day. Um, but, yeah, like the field was so, like great. Like it's definitely one of like the strongest opponents I've ever gone up against. And I'm very grateful for it. I'll probably still look at this list in the future. Like I said, I'm not set on my packs list yet, but uh, it's that's always a good sign. Yeah, that's and that's always a good feeling, right? Coming out of a tournament and being like, not just losing complete faith in your list and just being like, oh, like most of the problems with that were me, you know, or whatever, right? Like that's that's encouraging. That makes you want to play X Wing, right? Like you know, it's it's it just it means you can improve on something, which is right. awesome. And I mean, if you, if you are a scum player looking for a list, and like I know a lot of people, you're hearing all over the place that scum is bad and scum and this and scum that. This is a list that is fun. Like you should definitely put it on the table. Um, and there, it's more than just jousting with it. Like obviously, it is a joust, and it's going to blow things up. But it's a list that can hold its own on its like at the end game too. Like. Maybe hold to old Tarok out for a little bit. Like, don't shoot him in right away. But just really kind of, I think the big emphasis on it is to try to set, set up those shots that you're getting three shots on the same target. Um, and you can absolutely do that with Ketsu. Ketsu doesn't always have to shoot first. You can, um, you know, shoot with uh, old Tarok first, shoot with Ketsu and Tractor Beam the uh, ship into, you know, Talonbane's arc. Um, but it, it's definitely a list that, like, it's going to blow things up and it's going to make you feel like you're playing X-Wing. Um, yeah. Cause at the same time, Ketsu is great against those KG ships that like are going to be bouncing around that you're going to see like Rick just feels terrible with Ketsu. Um, the uh, Jedi, like she catches the Jedi. So it's definitely something like, Sun Fat can't tractor beam Ketsu, so it's definitely, I think everyone needs to take a look at this. So two more comments before we move to Brett with the similar questions. Um, I watched your game against Ryan Fleming, and um, we don't have to get into it too much, but I, I do want to say that you, there were watching you fly the Lancer and setting it up with the K-turns and keeping the arc on target, but being in the scrum, kind of, was interesting. I, I definitely enjoyed watching that, and like especially because it was sort of like you were using old Terok to set up blocks to to kind of give Ketsu options for shots, um, which was entertaining. Like, there's always a stream game that like you don't get to see, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there were parts of that game that I think were uh, they were unique, and yeah. I, it, was, it was cool to watch. So, um, just another thing about that list is like you. Uh, obviously at some point you need to turn that arc like it should not always be facing forward so you can get that uh tractor beam off and but uh, i mean like ketsu sets up these arcs that like she's basically like the big brother for these little ships um yeah that's what it looked like right yeah. it, was just, it was just like big bully and then occasionally like you know just the threat of that k turns um but like you know it's like a giant 
aggressor in a weird way, right? Like it's just yeah. on these loops and coming back and it was good stuff. Yes, definitely. It's a ton of fun. Um, so Brett, I, I, you got a ton of notes here, but I think we should do it the same way we did with, with Andrew is just, you know, what's, what's one thing you learned about your list and what's some, a couple things you learned about some other people's lists. Yeah, sure. So let me go through my list first. Um, I had Anakin with seven B and, uh, the R2 droid. I had Obi-Wan with CLT and R5, which is the, uh, like the card regen astromech. And then I had Plo Koon with just uh, C110P or, or Choppers. I'll probably refer to him for, for the rest of this, um, which was my, my secret tech that Andrew was so kind to not name directly during last week's podcast, just to, to mention that there's something else in the Y-Wing pack that, you know, <laughs> made me out there. Secret, in, secret in quotes, right? Like, it right. was well known. <laughs> so... Um, and so this was the list I, I flew at the, the group championship as well, um, which was the only time I got actual reps with it because I really was trying not to put it on the table because Chopper was was a well-known entity, I think, and, and he had some representation. Um, but I don't think a lot of people were putting him on Plo, uh, which I thought was, you know, the, the big secret I had for, for a lot of different matchups. And Andrew, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I was going to say because you brought R2 A5, right? Oh, is that what I'm saying? The oh, right you mean R5. 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 Um, right, R5. And it was funny because, like, before, you know, the LCQ, I was like, why do you have that? And you you said that you can get Obi-Wan back up after over half points there. Right. If, even if he's at one hull, I can get back to, to over half if I have two turns. Um, and that did end up being very huge uh, in the game. And that was actually something I struggled with a lot beforehand was, should I put CLT on Plo um, to, to try and give him a little bit more punch situationally or stick with the, the regen to potentially save uh, Obi-Wan points? And they're, they're, they're both four points. Um, I had a, a six-point bid, and I knew I wanted to keep at least six points. Um, so I, I couldn't add them both on in my mind. Uh, and I, I ended up going with R5, and I, I'm still not sure if it was the right right call because having that extra punch with Plo may have made some of the, the tight games a little easier for me. Um, but, it, you know, it was very valuable throughout my run. Um, before – oh, sorry, Chris. Well, yeah, so I just want to ask, like, like I, I'm probably most interested in your experience with Republic Chopper, right? Like, like how – how big of a piece was that throughout the weekend? And, you know, like, do you just have any kind of immediate takes on, on he, where he, that, how useful that'll be going forward? He was basically the entire star of my list. Um, the first off being on Plo, Plo's ability allows him to pass a green token um, to a friendly ship at range zero to two at the start of the engagement phase. So what I was often doing was my first engagement, I would have Plo just outside of range three he would take that free evade and he would pass it either to Obi-Wan or Anakin, whoever looked like he was going to get shot the most. So it was kind of almost like an extra free shield upgrade for one of those, those ships. Um, and then the, once I got the, uh, the jam ability, I, it was so punishing to so many ships. Um, my first round I was playing uh, Ben Keller and he had uh Chirtik, Sunfac and Grievous. Um, and Plo basically won me that game. Once I, I got to a situation where Plo was in, uh, Sunfax, you know, one little sliver of a blind spot. I was just keeping him there, jamming 
uh, Sunfac every single turn. So if he's got a shot at me, it, it did almost no damage if it if it did any damage. And I'm just able to, to chip away at him and chip away at him, which is really what you need to do on on those Nantexes. Um, and I, I played some uh, some Vaders where I was able to, to you know jam off target locks. Um, defenders jam off with the focus of the evade. So I would say Chopper is one of the strongest cards in second edition, probably needs a serious point change. Um, and on Plo, I think he's just the perfect carrier for, for that piece. He essentially became right. an amazing support ship. And, and just to just to make sure people are kind of like in the loop on what this is doing, especially our locals, right? I have, Everyone at the group champ probably saw this because it was both ship, both lists at a final table at our, our group champ, right? Um, yes. Had it. But the, the, the major interaction is the uh, the FTC plus chopper, right? The fact that you can you know, kind of fine-tuned into the range that you need for the jam. Um, that that makes a, you know, a significant difference for how functional it is, right? So it does, and I was very excited about it, but I have to say I probably only had to FTC into the jam range maybe once or twice the entire tournament um, because once he got in there, he's just doing one hards and, and sticking really close, and that range one band is not small. Right. Um, it's not like the yeah. dial isn't good enough already to get you there. Exactly. <laughs> and you can slam into them, right? You don't have to fully execute, so you're, Correct. Not, you're, you're not trying to be precise. You're just putting the ship near it. Right, they slam in, and you you get the the two force. Um, another reason I think Plo is is so good actually is the the two force, um, because th there were a number of games you know where I might be out of the engagement for a little, and I'm having to jam myself, uh, which kind of sucks. But two force is basically a focus, so it's it's not the end of the world. I could usually survive one or two turns based just on those force charges and you know repositioning with my action instead of of right. taking your token. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then so what you you talked about at the start the um not just burning the evade token senselessly, right? Like you want to get to the jam functionality, but actually using the evades is something that you were doing, or at least I, I saw yeah. you doing that in other games where, you know, that evade is useful for Obi Wan or Anakin, right? Like it's it's something that you can you can make use of before you get to that kind of more degenerate side of the card. <laughs> Right. I mean, there, were, there was one time where I actually was so worried about the fire, I took a force evade and then got my evade from from Plo. Um, so I'm, I have two evades and two force going into something, right? Like, I'm not going to get hit by anything at that point. Um, yeah. So the ability to pass those green tokens was so useful. And, and I was also really excited about Plo's uh, taking away tractor token ability, but I, I did only face the the one Nantex list. I did get to, to use it in my first... Uh, engagement and Ben did say afterwards, like you know, he hadn't thought about the fact that I was just going to strip that token and get Plo out of there. Um, so it, you know, it served its function there, but yeah. the green token ability is not something to sleep on. Right, right. Um, it feels like it feels like something that uh, there were a number of players at Worlds who were experimenting with Chopper. Um, I, it was in a lot of lists. You were seeing it on like regular Jedi Knights. You were seeing it. I think Nathan Knighty was running it on Luminara, which seems really dangerous. Right. Um, it definitely feels like the kind of card that's going to kind of get worked out into the correct list by the time we get to packs. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's something people need to be aware of because it it kind of gives Republic a counter option for force using lists and a counter option for token stacking lists. Which you know, if you think about it, right, like like one strategy against Jedi lists is to bring you know things that can mitigate the three shots that it can't take because it's not it typically doesn't have that many shots to fire 
Right. They're, they're highly accurate, but if you've got really good defense mods, like you can manage it. Chopper just breaks that down, right? It, it, it solves that particular problem for Jedi, which is, you know, it's not taking that many shots. Well, Chopper solves that, um, it, yeah. you know, just by removing the mods. So, and it also helps with, uh, with swarms, right? Yeah. I, I mean, there, there was very little it did not help with. Um, once people started to realize exactly what Plo was doing to their list, they they quickly tried to shift their focus to yep. him. Um, but, you know, they see Anakin lining across from them. Most people were just gunning straight for Anakin. I would say in about half of my games, Anakin did absolutely nothing but run away and sort of draw some aggro from people and allow the other two to, to get behind them and do some work. Yeah. I think in one of the side events I played against a list with Chopper, and I, I, I knew just like had to get rid of that thing because <laughs> it's it's it, you know what it reminded me of a little bit of uh of paylob where is the longer paylobs on the table the worse things get for you <laughs> you know where it's just you're constantly being drained from from you know the damage output and the defensive mm-hmm. output yes it's like paylob except it's a paylob that might never take any damage <laughs> because oh, he's got yeah. those, those three defense dice um right uh nice man so so cool like that was cool so you did you did well in the lcq and then you know on did did okay for the the actual main event right i think ended up with four wins which is right yes um i i i felt like i could have potentially gotten that fifth win i had one round that went very poorly for me but uh you know overall i was very proud of the list um and how i did with it i it was very mentally draining and i i will be honest it wasn't the most fun list I've ever played. Um, you've always talked on the podcast about how Jedi are are kind of like do some damage and run away and win on points. Um, and my Jedi list are getting slightly more and more like that. Like I started with three seven Bs and I would just nuke people off the table, um, and then two seven Bs and you know I still did a lot of damage. And now with just one seven B, one CLT, and then nothing, uh, most of I think every one of my games actually went to time. So that made it harder on me, you know, mentally and, and, you know, right. Physically, but it also just, I didn't feel like most of my games got to that, that, you know, inevitable stage where I will definitely win if we play this out. Sure. Well, I mean, so, but that's also speaks to kind of the caliber of the games you were playing, right. Which is, you know, in more, when you're playing in a more competitive kind of tournament, um, the, those types of decisions, are they just they're more obvious right they feel more prevalent where it's like oh this is definitely correct because if i don't do this i'm not gonna win right right and i have really no other options like the the honorable i'm gonna destroy all your ships just kind of like that's still an option but it's it's harder (laughs) um so i i it's it's interesting to hear you say that but i think that's also that's it's just been an evolution of republic list building in general right like that wasn't just you that was that was it seemed really like Republic hasn't been out for very long and it's it's kind of very quickly evolved towards regen run to time, right? Right. Um, it's just optimized that that direction. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't just I didn't love it, but you know, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever done, I guess. Um, oh, and they're still I, fun, right? I, I I do want your your opinions on something because I was thinking about about you actually and and what was the correct strategy here. Um, so in my second game, um, I was playing against Vader. And uh, three taps with um, with foresight, um, right? So if I'm in their bullseye after my maneuver, they get to spend a force, do a two die attack, and they even get a mod with it. 
Um, and I, I had the bid and I really just, I struggled for minutes trying to figure out, do I want initiative or do I want to give initiative here? Um, because obviously, you know, foresight, I don't want to give them extra attacks. Extra attacks are bad, but it's only two dice, but it's two dice with a mod. And if there's enough of them, it can really hurt. Um, but I also don't want Vader moving after me. Um, so after a lot of thought, I decided, you know, I'll just see if I can, if I can outplay the foresights. Um, and you know make sure i'm moving after vader and i just was wondering what you guys think the right call was there if i if i was right to do that or or if yeah. i just avoided the foresights for sure yeah so i guess just a quick segue right i met a lot of people at worlds who learned about foresight at worlds <laughs> right and were like oh this is a card that exists <laughs> even the marshal like like i it's i just i think that um Foresight is something that people have very little experience playing against in general. Um, I'm in that same category. So I don't have great answers. I would say in that specific matchup, you had Anakin. You want to move after Vader. Yeah, right. that's I think what I eventually good. decided. Yeah. Like, like it's it's almost just separate from Foresight. So there's like no question there, um, at least for me. But I, I had a game against uh, a, a Foresight Swarm. So it was uh, a whole bunch of taps with, with uh, Foresight and then uh, a sense tap uh, in the list. So that I learned very quickly what that card does. Um, so he, of course, decided to move first uh, against my kind of Kylo and TIE Fighters because there was some overlap there. Um, and that, that move, him moving first made a, a massive difference because it's, you know, not only was he getting his mods for defense with the evades and the focus, he was moving for blocks, um, but, he, you know, he was also, you know, enabling uh, uh, foresight a little bit, you know, when I would move. So, I, I think I think that, you know for your list specifically, that decision's easier. For many other people, they're going to have to give that some careful thought, especially if they have the bid. Okay, I, and so I'm glad I made the right choice. At least I ended up losing that game. It was 79 to 39. I mean, it was the least exciting game of X-wing you may have ever seen. Um, but you know, I, I just it was killing me the whole rest of the day. Like, did I make a mistake? And it followed me around. We should test it more, right? I think Foresight is a good enough card that it, it warrants practicing against. So we yeah, get a I real agree. answer on that. I, I just, you know, the, the main thing is that, you know, my, my, my primary experience against it was as many of as many Foresights as possible. Um, and if I could have bid to, to kind of move first against that list, I would have. Uh, well, now remember, my the, game. The, it really only matters, though, for, for the Jedi as to do I want initiative or not initiative there? Because it, it's strictly just the fine-tuned control interaction of getting out of the bullseye. Yeah, no, I get it. But it's the, the setup of a I3. Like, if I have a list that's all I3, right? And then I have I3 taps. The taps can look at where you are on the board, know what your dial options are, and move the foresight bullseye into a position that's oh, of course. more yeah. restricted, right? Mm -hmm. That's more what I'm describing. So, like the FTC thing, I, I, that's that's a whole other layer to it. Um, right. But the, the more common decision people have to make is just that, which is a, a much simpler one. Andrew, you got any takes on this? I think foresight. We should probably get into the rule thing that came up during my game. You saw that, right? Yeah, I, I was watching that game pretty heavily just because it was really the the interaction was um, very interesting. I know. So back a while ago, well, not even that far ago. When Foresight came out and Snapshot came out, there was a huge debate of you could um, activate Foresight or sh uh, Snapshot 
um, just as your regular attack. So Foresight reads, after an enemy ship uh, executes a maneuver, you may spend one force to perform this attack against it as a bonus attack. And then it's got like a next paragraph attack. You may change one focus result to a hit result. Your dice cannot be modified otherwise. So the whole debate came into um, whether this could just be used in the attack phase. And I think the general community of things, uh, people like, you know, agreed that this could be used as an attack in the primary phase, um, in the primary engagement phase. And I think it caught a little bit of, pe- of people off guard in the Worlds tournament because the martial ruled that you cannot that the um first paragraph is a requirement of the second paragraph so i know that right especially with foresight i don't know if it really happened with snapshot at all but i mean foresight you definitely get a bonus for that attack and so being clear right like um this was clarified to my opponent round five by the marshal um and it was just a weird, like, I, I, I had to read Foresight, like, four times during that game just to get make sense of it. Um, but essentially what was happening, right, is that he would use it as a primary attack to get the free mod on the one focus result. Um, and that, that, you know, implies that he didn't use it that turn already, but um, it, was, it was a weird interaction, right, where, like, you know, it's just because you could read it as attack and all it does is say, change one focus result to a hit... You just read the sentence and do it. Marshall came over and explained that that, at least as how he was interpreting it, wasn't possible. Yeah, um, and, and I, I know this is for four points. That's a lot of flexibility, right? Right. I mean, you use this at range two or three just to. I mean, obviously at range three it helps a lot because it's got the uh, little missile icon, so you don't get the range bonus. And I mean, if you are evading and you're out of force, you you know doing this as an attack that that bonus mod yep. is. Super well, strong. That's what's happening. Yeah, he right. was saving his force charge for defense. He would use that force evade, not take any damage, and then attack with the bullseye um, extra force charge, you know, on offense. Right. Um, which is, you know, like the card probably wouldn't be four points if that was built in functionality. I don't think. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to track this in the points change are um, yeah, coming up. If they rule that you can do that, this thing's going to skyrocket. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know it might be completely valid that it works that way. I don't have, you know, I'm not, I don't have super strong opinions one way or the other. Right. To be honest, it's just, it just hasn't been clearly explained by FFG. So right, and it's a little shocking that that they didn't clarify this sooner in the um, in the forum thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the. I think they already told us that the next points adjustment will be in January. So mm-hmm. we got a little bit to go. Um, so it's important to any tournaments that you go to make sure you, and you plan on this interaction, make sure you clarify with your TO whether we're ruling yep. it. Because yep. it could definitely go either way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's it's a card that fits on a lot of ships, right? So, yep. um, so Brett, just before we, we move too, too much further with any of that, I, are there any other, like, any lists that you played against that you learned something about, like, besides Foresight? So I guess this isn't, like... A super hot take or anything, but um, I played a, a Torkoal Mux Cartel Swarm, um, and I just got to learn from experience how important it is to to get that perfect first engagement. I thought I had uh, one of his um, Cartel Marauders at range three of 
of uh, Anakin and Ranger and Bullseye of Obi-Wan. And I was off by, I mean, maybe a millimeter, maybe two. I don't know. Um, but losing out on that perfect engage where I only have one one ship in, in range and I'm going to put some damage to it and then be able to, to PS and kill it next turn um, probably cost me the game right there. Um, so the I mean, aces must was, suffer, right? Yeah, <laughs> so that was the definition of that. Those aces suffer. That that was that was just something I I learned was how big of a fail that millimeter uh, being off on the range ruler can be. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, I, I see in your notes here too. It's kind of funny. Yeah, you played a barrage bomber list, and Jam makes that game just over. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was the last round. I mean, it was it was already over, and I mean, I felt bad for it. like he had no chance. Um, he was lucky to do the two points of damage on Plo that, that he did. Uh, right, I can arc dodge like crazy, and if they don't have a focus, they're so sad. <laughs> oh my god. I, people better get used to that with Chopper. So, nice. Um, Alright, man. Well, that was that was, that was interesting. Uh, any other comments about your day or the list? I, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. I, I, I don't want to do shout-outs to every one of my opponents, but I enjoyed every single one of my games. I didn't have a single negative experience uh in besides your game games. against andrew right <laughs> yeah well i mean andrew's a giant dick we all know that but uh <laughs> um yeah I, it was it was so much fun i had such a great time um hanging out with everyone was was wonderful um and i can't wait to go back next year nice i almost had you brett i almost had you you did. I mean, our game ended in a pretty in a pretty exciting way, where he was up on points. I uh, I was able to finally get his structural damage old T off the board that I've been chasing the entire game, <laughs> and then he gets a hit crit going into to my Anakin, and if I get a direct hit, I lose. Um, and it just didn't it didn't work out. But it was it was an exciting finish for sure. A shadowcaster, a shadowcaster trying to grab a direct hit into Anakin. Whew. Brings back stuff. All right. <laughs> Chris, tell us about your day. What, what, what did you learn? I about, I learned that I really, really, really like uh, Kylo plus four TIE Fighters. That was that was super fun. Um, I, like, I didn't really get a chance to play too much leading up to, like, in the immediate couple weeks leading up to Worlds because I was traveling. Um, so I was kind of really, like, going into the tournament... I'd given the list a lot of thought. I've been discussing it a, a decent amount with various people, and I was excited to see how it worked, and it pretty much did what I expected. Um, the main takeaway is that crack shot is super useful, and it elevates a whole bunch of ships that are just not, you know, they might not seem that great on paper. As soon as you add crack shot to them, they, they start being a little bit different. Um, so just for, for people who might be listening, I was running Kylo, um, Scorch with Crackshot, Longshot with Crackshot, Omega, an Omega uh, Squadron Pilot with Crack, and then uh, an Epsilon. And so it was just basically Kylo plus five, or plus four. Um, and that the, the main takeaway from the weekend, really, just in terms of, of functionality, was, was how powerful a 30-point Omega can be, right? Uh, on three agility, those things, they kind of hold on to their points and they're a meaningful threat against a lot of ships, even though they're not throwing three dice, right? I think there's like a a desire to always have three dice because we've been kind of trained to know that like that's good. Um, but two dice is still pretty useful. And, and even with just a focus and crack shot, it, it works. And it opens up your list builder. 
So if you kind of go through your list builder and pick out random ships that you don't believe in that have a talent slot, just put Crackshot on there and experiment with them because it might actually be useful. Um, so we ended up seeing on the final table at Worlds, um, Daniel Taylor's list was kind of a weird like rebel version of this with many different kind of options, right? So he was running Wedge with Crackshot, uh, uh, Braylon, Jake, Blount, and an I-1 uh, Z95. So I was actually super surprised to see that on a final table and actually really excited because, you know, I, even though our lists have a lot of differences, um, they have significant similarities, right? Like it's it's kind of ace plus squad, which is, we had been planning to do a episode for a while that was just breaking out all the different possible ace plus squad options. Um, and it works, man. Like that has me really hyped. So I'll pause there, but. Like, like Andrew, you know, I've just been linking like ace plus squad lists all day, right? Like from, from various factions. Is th that was my main takeaway. Yeah, you have been. Uh, some of them might not make sense, but I know you're super excited about it. Um, yeah, but it, but it's like an archetype, right? Right. Like it's, it's an archetype to be excited about, or at least for me that I'm excited about. Right. No, yeah. It, it does work in a lot of cases that um, you can basically bring an ace and then like this like support squad to go with it. Um, just like... Going off of Dan, Dan Taylor's list, um, like he had Jake to basically always try to give double mods. Like he was giving Wedge double mods until Wedge died. And then he was, you know, going, giving Jake um, yep. double they actions on himself or, you know, right. actions to the other people. So, I mean, like it definitely worked out. Um, and, and it isn't the only key to the list. I mean, like he just brought a. Um, a generic z95 with it that you know still dished out damage and yep. had a very important role into his list well yeah so like i you know like I, the experience that i had with mine just kind of gave me a bunch of just different insights right so like you know like with my list i don't have jake tossing the double mod out but i have slightly better kind of like options in terms of agility i mean you right? have a force user so, so it's, it's well, basically yeah, yeah but like it's 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 kind of like it's consolidated into different pieces in the right. list right so like like wedge is great but like wedge is not nearly as mobile and his end game options are are nowhere near as effective right as kylo um but like the way that the archetype functions of of having a really important piece which for my list is kylo that you want to protect and in in daniel's list it's wedge right which is a really important piece for all kinds of reasons right because there's there's things in the game that wedge solves so if he loses wedge you can't solve that um but that that entire kind of process of trying to um engineer engagements that keep your kind of best piece involved but not threatened is is really the key to it right and then because you have four ships you have enough pieces on the table to provide a screen or to distract the opponent or, or, you know, basically put threat on the table that, you know, makes that possible. Um, you know, so I had, you know, people know that I've been running Kylo Taps and Quickdraw for a while. And, you know, it's similar, right? And that Tapson is kind of just like a ship that's a list. So it goes and distracts people. Um, these kinds of five ship lists that have an ace in them are doing much the same thing, right? Where, you know, you just have your squad and it can, it can, it can, preoccupy time 
it can hold on to MOV at key times, right? Where, you know, for my list, an Epsilon still being on the board with Kylo is a problem for my opponent, right? Because that Epsilon's 26 points that Kylo just carries around with him, right? And so the more FOs I have in the mid game, the more dangerous that end game is going to look for my opponent. Um, and it's not just because I'm putting damage out, it's because, you know, Kylo just suddenly looks more expensive. Um, it's not exactly how it works, right? Because they can go hunt down the FO, but it's it's that kind of flexibility. Um, so yeah, I I, I think uh, it's it's something that I'm going to continue to test, right? It's 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 fun to have kind of a mix of initiative out there, and you can get it from pretty much every faction. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, you said you've been like linking uh, different lists in the Discord, and like right after Worlds, like that's the first thing I started doing was just. How can I make similar lists um, in the scum faction? Sure. You know, just like different things that like I, I could possibly do with this. And, and there's some things that I'm coming up with. Um, they, they might not be the best list, but it, it might lead to other things. Um, yeah, looking and like back, lessons learned from like good lists from the tournament, or, right? It's useful, right? It's okay to do some of that. I mean, looking back, I mean, I'm still, I might, I'm probably going to put this on the table again. Is just fed route with four fangs is a super great example of this that like they basically are there um they have a purpose and they perform well but then you have fen who is your ace in the uh you know hole and he he does what he needs to do yep yep so uh, you know just kind of i guess going back to the list a little bit um what, one thing that i found that was super encouraging was it was extremely effective at controlling aces so my first two games of the day, I played a, a Supernatural, Gurry, and Fen, right? I played Jesper game two, and he had his top 16 OB Plo um, list with a Trip Jedi list with Annie. Um, and, it, you know, those were difficult games for me. Those aren't easy matchups, but the having the number of ships on the board to, like, corral his aces... And to block them and still have enough things available to take meaningful shots, um, you know that that's something that you know I, I know Jonathan spends a lot of time playing kind of these you know the the kind of rebel list with multiple pieces. Uh, but that's just a whole area of the game, right? Where like I think we we get kind of into a trap a lot of the times of looking at ace matchups and saying, okay, that ace moves after me, so I lose, right? And there's so many other ways to deal with that. We did an entire episode on it. But if you don't take lists that have some of the pieces to do it, that strategy isn't available to you. Um, and there's nothing like my game against Jesper was probably one of the more satisfying games I've had. I, he and I have an agreement that we play each other once every 12 months because <laughs> I played him at Coruscant and played him again here. So we just said we'll play again in 12 months. Um, but essentially, like, you know, I'm not used to getting blocks that matter because it usually denies you shots. In that game, I got a couple that did. Um, so that's yeah, that was that was good stuff. And then I the 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 one thing that I would kind of caution people on, I guess, if they're looking to pick up a list like this, and you brought it up in and kind of highlighting it in Dan's list, you do need offensive output, right? Like you, you can't just start slapping kind of generics into a list with an ace and hope it's going to work. Um, you know, the number of shots, you still need to modify them. Um, whether that's with crack shot or with some support elements, it's really, really important. 
Right. And if you really look at, like, break down Dan Taylor's list, um, he's got Braylon, who essentially is a double mod every turn. He's got yep. um, Jake, who is giving uh, Wedge the focus, and then Wedge is probably locking as his action. So he's got double mods there. Uh, Blount is getting himself up to three dice, which more or less is a mod. So, yeah, you really got to look at that, too. Um, yeah, the mix of three dice is helpful. That's that's yeah. why, you know, that's why I was running Scorch and Longshot. Right? Yeah, definitely. They're, they're, both, they're both throwing three dice. And um, Scorch was just, you know, you know how big of a fan I am of that of this ship, of Jad Bean, right? But, like, Scorch was so, so good. Um, getting Side a range note. one for four, for four dice is a big deal. Scorch and Longshot were the MVPs in my epic tournament. <laughs> I that makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they were, they were, um, you know, they were really important pieces in my list, and and uh, you know, they're only thirty four and thirty three points together before crack shot, right? Like those are, those are, that's a lot of value. Um, you know, so Blount is thirty points and still has room for crack shot. And what, what's interesting in Daniel's list, right, is that he's got he's got three I fours. So I would kill for um, you know three of my ships to be I four in my list, even if they were shooting two dice, right? Like that would just be that would make a, a big difference um, and would have been helpful in a variety of matchups because there's so much in the game right now that's sort of hovering around you know I two and I three. Um, I I four actually can function like an ace. So Jake in that in, in Dan's list is sort of interesting because Jake is basically soon tier a lot of the time. <laughs> um, and is actually an endgame piece. So, yeah, you know, you know that, that's pretty cool. So I, I ran something very similar instead. So I ran Wedge, Jake, and Corn for the longest time. So I basically took out, you know, uh, three of his ships and just made a super Corrin. Um, <laughs> you made a trench run, right? Right. So, but it's, it, it, I have some experience with that where, like, when Wedge dies, like, Jake basically just goes into rage mode. He's like, okay, look at me. I'm the ace now. Like, Right, he, and he can do that. Like he's super useful with it, and he will push damage through. We did the I four episode, right? Yeah. And like you know, like Scorch is one of these I fours, and Jake is definitely one of these I fours that are are really significant pieces. Um, and Jake's so unique because he just plays so many different roles, right? He's a support ship. He's coordinating. He's a blocker. He's a flanker. He's an ace when you need him to be. Um, and he's got the mobility to close gaps. It's just really cool. So I, I you know, <laughs> I, I'm talking a lot about Dan's list while I'm talking about mine, but it's because you know that's it's just so exciting to see a list like Dan's perform. And he, you know, I'm not the biggest Rebel player. Like I play a bit of Luke Wedge and a bunch of pieces sometimes, but like, I, I it's really encouraging to see Rebels make a final table with, to be honest. You know, if anyone of us at the beginning of 2.0 were to look at this world's final and see that that list made the final table, we'd probably just say, yep, 2.0 is working. That's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like that is it's just it's just crazy. Um, it's it, his list doesn't formation joust like people need to understand that. And he's talked about it like this is not a box formation joust rebel beef list like that's not all it is um it's a distributed list like it's it's he's using each of the pieces as unique elements he's doing a loose formation joust as as bios described in the past right um there's a lot going on with you know not a lot of cards um and minimal kind of synergy 
but still functioning as a real list. And that's like everything we ever wanted from 2.0, or at least everything I ever wanted. Um, and at the same time, it's balanced against, you know, uh, you know, aces matchups, right? Like it, it has answers for that, but it doesn't, it doesn't lean into things like Leia or Cassian to make that ace match, you know, even, right? It leans on other things. Basically, it's it's offensive profile, right? And it's ship count. Yeah, um, one, of, one of the things that's really cool about this list, um, and, and I, I thought about this when we were talking about these different lists um, with like ace plus other things, is like when one thing dies, like the game's not over. Like all of Correct. these pieces can hold their own in their own regards, and I think that's really a strength of that list in, yep. in general. Um, that like when Wedge dies, the game wasn't over. Like he still had Jake, who does Jake things, and Braylon, you know, who if is a monster when he gets those shots off. So um, right, even the, I mean, even the I one is a huge piece, right? Yep. And I, you know, I can speak to that with the epsilon. You know, my, that epsilon. There's no evidence of it on stream because I turned my brain off, right? I needed to go get coffee, but <laughs> I promise in every other game besides that, you know, there were the setup with just the I1 ship as the blocker, which, you know, we've talked about in the past. Um, Zach talked a little bit about it, right, of, of having that kind of purpose-built blocker for your list. Um, got it. It just helps against everything. Right, you have a piece you can sacrifice against aces, and you have a piece that you can sacrifice against swarms that really makes swarms unhappy. Like, there's nothing a swarm player hates more than you just kind of slamming in an initiative one ship you don't care about for a couple of I one shots, taking away all their mods, right? And then they're like, "Well, great, right?" I mean, like that, but that's you know, it's I I don't know how you put a price on that, right? Like, I paid 26 points for a epsilon squadron pilot that could deny my opponent half of their lists mods it's incredible um so like you know we we i i don't think i would have believed anyone if they said that you know a bandit squadron pilot was going to be on the final table at worlds but here we are like blair bunky didn't even go <laughs> so i might not have believed anyone if they said that list was going to be on there but andrew freaking called it that daniel taylor was going to be there i <laughs> You can go back an episode ago, and I 100% said that Dan Taylor was going to be, he's going to be making a scene and absolutely did. Like, that guy, I, I, you know, I doubt he'll listen to this, but he is a genius. Like I said, he, you know, was the, like, I want to say two or three time Imperial Assault World Champ, and now he's here in the X-Wing world. Um, That's cool. Yeah, congrats to him. And and, to Ollie as well, right? Yeah, absolutely, Ollie. Um, He did a great performance the entire weekend um so i I would you know be prepared for dan taylor to make a splash into this world um yeah and it's cool right to see him kind of make that transition away from leia beef and like continue with the list and make it work right and and you know like what i would say and i've said this elsewhere but like you know, people shouldn't be intimidated from using lists like this. Of course, use what you love, right? Of course, use the list that you're going to have the most fun with. Like, you don't have to go out and try to learn a list like this just because we're talking about it, right? Um, but don't, like, the, the, the worst thing would be to look at that final table and think that this is an anomaly, right? Like, people really should be exploring kind of slightly higher ship count or, like, mid-ship count lists in 2.0. Because there's obviously some value to it that, like, the majority of the community is constantly overlooking, right? Like, we're always just looking at, like, what's the best ace? What's the best kind of jousty list that's basically just Squad of Legend, 
right? Like, like what's the best just pure swarm that's everything's the same? Um, but there's very little discussion about sort of these like kind of mixed lists or, you know, very little testing that goes on around it. So I, I think, you know, like even Ollie, right? Like wasn't Ollie the player that ran uh, Fen Rao and the, the Fangs? Wasn't that him? Did I have that wrong? I'm pretty sure that was um, him. Yeah, like he ran that all over Vassal and it was killing, uh, you know, hi- system opens in hyperspaces with that, I'm pretty sure. I think he won two or three hyperspaces. Actually, I think he won two weeks in a row at hyperspaces. <laughs> right. Well, so, but here we are. Like that guy was just crushing it with like this archetype, right? And then he took trip aces and crushed it again. Like there's obviously something you learn from playing these types of lists that's useful and that's applicable across archetypes. Um, which isn't too surprising, right? Because it just has to do different things. And that was um, one of my favorite parts about World Sorry, not to get too off track, but seeing all those great people there and during the cut, just being able to to sit down and watch them. People yep. who were playing things I might never think to fly. Like, I, I seriously just followed Duncan Howard around the entire, the entire <laughs> time he was in there. And I, I mean, he probably thought I was stalking him towards the end, but I was just like, you know what? This guy is a much better you player You basically than I just admitted to stalking him. <laughs> I, I, I did. I, I mean, I'm stalk- he's so much better than I am. I can't pass up that opportunity. I mean, it turns out he went on stream twice. He almost never does. So it's tough to, to actually see his game. So I was just like, this is what I'm doing today. <laughs> And then he lost, and I left. Like that. that was <laughs> well, yeah, but just to kind of see how he approaches the game with Suntir, yeah, it's useful. Um, I, I, I think uh, just on that note, right? Like that's one of the more interesting parts of Worlds, or the more fun parts of Worlds, is just all the people you get to meet and hang out with, right? Um, I had fun. I, I, I saw a lot of people that I only get to really see once a year, or maybe twice a year, um, and it's just it, it's it's awesome right like you know, we're breaking down the game but to be honest like that's not what made worlds fun it was it was absolutely just you know seeing friends and uh you know and actually just meeting players in the community that you know you, you've you've interacted with maybe online a little bit but you don't you know really get to talk to um and i, I think that's true for everybody who goes to worlds right like it kind of gives you that opportunity which is cool yeah definitely i i mean just people coming up to you and talking to you um just like exactly meeting new people like it was such a good time and a blast and like and i look forward to seeing these same people in the future and you know just talking to them about their x-wing experiences like it is definitely what makes the game what it is it's for sure and like so like i think it was last year's worlds when ryan made top 16 that we were all chanting bob while he was playing because he was running uh he was running bob the bomber right this year, the memory that'll stick with me forever was just Kalen running his "It's the Resistance" list, and like just just yelling that out was so much fun. Yeah, that was a great time. Just nonstop, you'd hear "It's the Resistance" screamed throughout the entire uh, convention. Yeah, it was just it was just great, right? I mean, like that's just kind of what makes this community fun is like when it's obvious we're all having fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was a good time. Cool. Well, do we want to talk a little bit more about Worlds, or do we want to wrap this up? I think we should wrap it up. I mean, there's okay. a whole bunch of other topics, right? Like, there there was definitely some drama there with with uh, the way that the, the judges handled fortressing rules. Um, you know, there was, there was some other stuff going on that we could probably get into at a later time, you know. But I just, honestly, I just had too much fun to talk about anything yeah. complicated right now. 
<laughs> so I agree, but I think maybe we should just say like, what was our biggest surprise from from what happened in Worlds? Um, and I'll, I'll gladly go first. I mean, mine was how well Scum did. I had said <laughs> last week I thought Scum was was going to do nothing, and they had three lists in the top eight. I mean, they put on such a great showing. They had an undefeated through one of the the Swiss days. It, it was really amazing to me the the type of creative options people were coming up with for Scum. That Tarani list, that snapshot Tarani list, should it's just that's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was great, right? Like, what a good idea! I never would have considered it. Yeah. Um, all right, so biggest shocker, dead air. Crickets. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nothing surprised you, Andrew? No, just, you I know. mean, he kind of stole my thunder because, you know, I, I obviously was going to mention, you know. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I am an avid scum player, uh, as is Chris is the FO player. Um, but yeah, like like I said, I, I was so excited seeing that you know three of the top eight uh, lists were scum, and, and like it, they get such a bad you know rap, and sometimes it's hard to really like when you're in your list builder trying to figure out a list, but like just put these ships on the table and like practice them, fly them, and you know you will get results, and like it some things work and some things don't and that's that is the game like i understand some people don't have the time to um like really take the practice and everything that they need but i think at the same time that like there's so much out there that as you said earlier chris that like can be found that we just haven't found yet and that's like the beautiful thing about second edition Right, and it's you know I think the key is to not look for things you know like just based off of preconceived notions of of what list build thing is supposed to you know work like right <laughs> right like that's the hard part right but it's sort of like kind of it's hard to take a step back sometimes from you know opinions on ships because as soon as you play it once and it doesn't do exactly what you want you can just throw it out sometimes right yeah um and that doesn't mean to like build jank lists or like to always you know try to come up with your own things um but i think there's a lot to be said about just you know giving ships the time that they need to kind of prove their use and that that obviously happened to you, to you with talent vein right yeah um it definitely happened for me with just the omega squadron with crack shot right like i I'm shocked at how good that 30 points is. Um, it's really, really solid. Uh, you know, and it, it, Brad, obviously, like you had been testing Chopper for a while, so that that one was a little more, you know, obvious there. But like, yeah, there's just stuff you learn from actually using it, and especially in a world's environment. 100. <laughs> um, I don't know that I have anything that really surprised me from the event, other than you know just how many people were there and the fact that we could probably have had another couple hundred which is awesome that is super encouraging it basically means that like next year's world is just going to be even better what about the number of nantexes i i have to say i was surprised that there were not significantly more nantexes i was happy but i was surprised <laughs> um yeah listen man i i think i think that uh it's new content right and it was pretty close to worlds that it dropped. So there was, you know, I, I think there's a significant portion of the player base that, you know, falls into the category of as soon as it dropped, they're like, nope, doesn't interest me. I'm not going to play it. Mm -hmm. Then there was a whole other category of player. I'd include myself there who took the time to figure it out. Really, you know, just kind of had a negative reaction to it. And we're just like, 
okay, definitely not playing it. I know it's good, but I'm not playing it. Um, I'll just hope I don't see it. I'm not even going to build counters to it in my list, right? Like that was that was the decision I made. A lot of um, people seem to go the matchup dodge route. Yeah, and then, well, and then there was an entire category of players who were like, "I'll bring list building counters to it, right? I'm going to prioritize medium bases in my list or large base." Um, and then there was a small sliver that actually took the time to say, "Okay, I'm going to try and figure this out and learn it and get good with it, and I'm actually going to bring it." And that was a small number of players. Um, what I can say, and I'll say this definitively, I saw the Nantex dunking on small base ships, like just absolutely destroying them. I saw some Nantex players getting bad first engagements and getting punished for it against lists that they could beat, um, which is always going to happen. And I think, you know, we kind of were aware that that was possible against the Nantex. Um, but the bottom line is, even though it wasn't there in great numbers, you have to understand that, like, you know, if you just look at List Fortress, you're not seeing the full story. This thing was as effective as promised against small base ships. It just hit some you know, counters, and there were definitely examples of, of players mishandling engages and getting punished for it. Um, which, you know, you have to pretty badly mishandle the engagement against certain lists for that to happen. I uh, And then the last comment I'll make on this, and Andrew, I'm sure you got some thoughts on it, but I, I don't feel like players across the board were taking the correct Nantex lists. So that's maybe, I'm not qualified to sort of say what correct is yet, but I can kind of say that I'm not sold on, um, you know, Sunfac plus five or no. six. Um, I, I definitely sold, like, no question in my mind on, on Sunfac and, and, and uh, you know, basically Grievous and a second ensnare piece. Um, I do think that the the matchups that that's good against, uh, it would probably still be decent against with an, the i5. I, I might be curious if people are going to test that because it, it was sort of a vulnerability to the list if you saw too much high initiative uh, moving after it and that kind of thing. Uh, but, but bottom line, I'm rambling a little bit here, but the point is that I, I don't think that the Nantex lists have been entirely settled, right? Players had the time to figure it out and you know, Paul and several other players kind of found the good one that is definitely matchup dependent. Um, but there's more to be found here with the Nantex. Yeah, so we have packs unplugged in about a month and a half coming up. Um, but there's also Warfare Weekend, I believe it is, in St. Louis. I'm really keeping an eye open on that. I'm trying to gather as much tournament data as possible on that. Because I'd be really shocked if uh, Sunfag does not make a splash there yeah it's i mean it's it's long enough that it's been out for a bit and i think people are starting to figure it out um chance one of our locals that was on the show a week ago he ran into like i think like four or five nantex matchups the entire weekend and like you could just see the range build up and, and I think... uh yeah i like i actually i i saw him after one of his games and like you could just see how drained he was yeah. right like because especially since he had to play against it like like five times like it, it, he was running you know defenders right which are their own right. kind of issue but like they they don't like that matchup right um so and I, it's crazy like it, the, the dunking on people is real right yeah and i mean so like i've had ex some decent experience with it and it's one of those things that I'm just kind of like, I, I want to try to incorporate a, a larger base ship in my list at all times now. Um, 
So uh, I think really keep your eyes open, especially what is it? The second set of nationals is coming up. Um, really open your eyes to the tournament results there and see what does pop up. Cause I guarantee you someone is in, you know, their game store figuring this out and bringing it. Um, and and yep. with packs coming up, you know, it might be one of the first tournaments that you have to try to think of like either tech against it a little bit or have a plan ready for it. Or like, like you said, worlds, I think it was a little bit too new. Some people did bring it. It had a showing, um, it definitely performed, uh, but you could just see some like the higher level. Like I mean, I walked past Paul Heaver, and like you could just hear him complaining about the Nantex. Um, so <laughs> well, yeah, and like I think I think what settled in for a lot of players at Worlds was how easily that these ensnare lists pick apart swarms. Yep, right. Like that was super obvious. Like I knew that already, but like like watching it in person, just watching, you know essentially Sunfact just tear apart whatever was left in a swarm um you know and then just seeing the player's reaction to it at the table you know this is one that we're not done yet no, <laughs> um, and i it, it, we and we may end up in a place right like i don't want to overkill this right like i do think that there's elements to what happened in worlds that are a reality to ensnare which is that you know the counters do kind of work right like the list building counters kind of work sometimes that's not terribly you know informative right. right but we know that um it's just it, its effect on the meta is really going to be significant absolutely um, and, and, and there are you know counters to this but i mean it if it, it's definitely going to shake up the meta in ways that people are going to need to be ready for like it, it's yep. it's going to come in like and, a wrecking ball and it's going to get worse as people figure out um the correct way to handle those first engagements, right? Because one of the things that Paul spoke to was, you know, kind of thinking about what can viably make cut. So if you if you look at the cut for worlds, and I'm interested to do that, you know, how many of the lists in cut would be viable counters to a double and snare list? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of how you have to think about the meta. You don't think about it entirely in terms of, you know, what what Swiss ends up being. Um, it's really kind of like what is at the top of the meta and what is the, the bulk of the, you know, what are you trying to solve, right? Um, so curious to see kind of how that plays out. Yeah. But, you know, what, what we'll probably start seeing from people is, oh, I didn't do good, do good at Worlds, it's fine. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to engage those people, right? Like, it's not worth a discussion. Be ready for it, that's all we got to say. No, yeah, absolutely, right? Like, just you still have to plan for this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Um, do you guys have any shout-outs? Yeah, just a shout-out to uh, to FFG for putting on a great show. Right? Yeah. And, I, you know, and, and to all the Liberty Squad guys who kind of made the trip out there and uh, put the time in at the LCQ. I think I'm really looking forward to PAX. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, Brent, you got anything? There, there's too many people. It was just a great time. <laughs> Thank you to everyone um, and to everyone who came up and said they listened to the podcast. That was like one of the highlights of the whole week. So thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, we had, I had a great number of people that came up and just talked to me, told me they listened to the podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Um, it's what really drives the podcast forward. <laughs> <laughs> just something funny. No one came up to me and told me that. <laughs> but that's okay. They were that's like, fun. look at this crate guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, but yeah, no, it was great meeting everyone. Um, 
you know, again, thanks for, you know, coming up and talking to us. It, it definitely made the weekend. And like I said, drives it forward. Um, so thank you guys for listening. If you're a fan of the show, our Patreon is up. Uh, I know you guys have probably saw our swag on the Fly Better Facebook page. So be ready for those K2SOs. They should be coming out. Um, probably at the end of the month, I'll be sending everything out. I got to reprint some things for you guys and then they will be out. You're going to have, um, some target locks and news, sexy K2 SO cards. Um, and then we'll be working on our next cards. Hopefully we can have some ready for packs. It might be a tight turnaround. We'll see. Uh, so check us out on Patreon and check us out on Facebook at the Liberty Squadron Facebook page and the podcast page, but two different places that you can, uh, give us feedback or comments. Uh, on that note, we should have a fun fold episode next week and a little bit more uh, data and everything that went on at Worlds. And I think that should be it. So thank you for listening and have a good night. Fly gritty. It's the resistance. <laughs>